NextYear.com podcast. I'm Rick. I'll be your host. And with me from the Waiting for Next Year team is Scott. Say hello, Scott. Hello, Scott. Joining us later for the main event will be Dan Lobby from Cavaliers Corner at Cleveland.com and Bob Schmidt from Cavsboard.com. But first, let's go for the cycle. Going for the cycle. Now, in this segment, we're going to take a look at what's happening with all the teams that WaitingForNextYear.com covers. And we're going to start with the Tribe. Yeah, obviously, uh, some of the biggest news for the tribe has recently been the uh, the Paul Bird trade to Boston. Uh, you have many angles with this: the HGH scandal from a little under a year ago, his uh, pretty poor start to uh, this regular season, followed by a uh, 1.24 ERA since the All Star break. Um, Anthony Castrovins from uh, MLB.com, the Indians. Uh, Beat writer had uh, a pretty interesting blurb to write about uh, regarding Bird and his a uh, the his superstition that he wore the same blue socks uh, for the last four games in which he's uh, been amazing. Uh, unfortunately, he won't be able to take those with him to Boston since obviously they do wear red socks. Uh, implication of this trade, uh, unlike the other uh, the Casey Blake and CC Sabathia deals, this one actually saves us money uh, as uh, the Red Sox will pay the remaining two million dollars on his contract. Called up in his uh, absence will be Zach Johnson, the uh, uh, throw-in sorts from the CC Sabathia deal. Uh, Johnson was three and one in Triple A Buffalo uh, with a 4.05 ERA. Uh, surprise, surprise! We have not uh, seen Aaron Lappy being called up uh, while he is four and one in Triple A with a 2.7 ERA. Um, the Indians are a little bit concerned over his uh, last ten games in the majors, where he did have an ERA of 6.2 and a WHIP just under two. Uh, when your opponent batting average is around 360, uh, obviously some things need to be worked out at the AAA level. Um, speaking of players that did get some things worked out at the AAA level, Esdrubal Cabrera has been on a tear for the month of August, hitting 324 with a 983 OPS. You can catch that out at, at a recent post uh, with the Tribe winning five in a row against the Orioles. And uh, some other players that will be working out in the minors, Victor Martinez and Josh Barfield, both scheduled to participate in AA Akron this Friday. Friday through Sunday. So if you're uh, looking for some minor league action and would like to see some big-name talent down in Akron, I suggest you go check it out. Uh, both players are scheduled to be there again Friday through Sunday. And to continue over the cycle, let's talk about the Browns. WaitingForNextYear.com Well, let's talk about the Browns. And, and the thing that everybody's talking about right now, of course, are, are the injuries. The big injuries that happened, uh, obviously, Braylon Edwards has his, has his heel stepped on uh, while kind of horsing around, goofing around with Dante Stallworth. Uh, everybody's worried about that, uh, worried that, uh, that Edwards is, you know, he's going to miss at least two preseason games, might miss the third. Um, I'm not extremely concerned about the injury. I think they're going to do everything that it takes to heal this, and uh, I think we will see him for that, that last preseason game unless – of course, the dreaded staff infection hits the Browns one more time. And, and if it does, uh, it's not going to be good. 
because we cannot afford to lose Edwards for any length of time. Uh, he is uh, the playmaker uh, to, to be all playmakers on that team. Uh, but also some injuries we're talking about. Obviously, Bo Bell uh, is uh, the linebacker that we picked up this year, first, our, our first draft pick in the draft, uh, fourth rounder. He is, he is out, uh, probably um, going to be out until the start of the season. But the truth is, with rookies in preseason, if, if they don't get their reps in the preseason, if they don't get those preseason game experiences, they're not going to be ready. And so we're realistically talking about special teams for Bo Bell this year, and that's a shame. Uh, and another one that's a shame is Martin Rucker. Uh, Martin Rucker uh, has a, had a slight tear in his meniscus, underwent surgery. I'm going to tell you, this tight end is something special. Uh, had an opportunity to, to see him at camp and watching him in the game, the, the first preseason game, he's something special. He did he dropped some passes. You know, I talked about that a little bit in my, uh, my Jets recap game. I really think that the problem with with him dropping those passes was just some timing issues that he was having having with uh, third string quarterback Ken Dorsey because you got to remember Martin Rucker has spent a lot of time working with the first and second string because of all these injuries to tight ends. Now one other thing that we've been talking about a lot on our site is uh, the depth that we've had at tight end and, and wrote a post about this the other day um, with Hyden coming back and if Hyden can stay healthy I still think that the Indians have the the Indians that the Browns have the depth. Uh, to, to be able to make a move with one of these tight ends. And, and I know we've talked about Darnell Dinkins being the one that ends up going or uh, Brad Cieslack, but uh, watch this. Don't be surprised if the, if the Browns don't trade Steve Hyden. And I say that obviously Steve Hyden's the best blocking tight end we have on this team, but Steve Hyden also has more trade value than Darnell Dinkins or Brad Cecily. It's not even close. Uh, and so if these teams are fishing for a starting tight end, Steve Hyden's the one that they're going to be targeting. And, and I'm sorry, but if we can get a, a starting cornerback, someone who's going to step in and be able to, 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 even if McDonald beats him for that spot, if it's a starting quality cornerback, I'm willing to take the chance. I'm willing to give up Steve Hyden in order to get cornerback help because this team desperately needs secondary help. And, and I'm not talking about you know, some help in the very back end. I'm saying we need somebody that's going to step in and challenge, at least challenge for that number two cornerback spot, someone that we that we're not afraid to put him out on an island with a wide receiver. Because, again, you know, the Browns are one injury, one injury in that cornerback uh, spot away from being in, in big trouble as far as the secondary goes. Um, now the next Browns game is going to be Monday night. Monday night against the Super Bowl champion Giants. Uh, should be a really good matchup. This should be a test. You know, we, we saw the, the defensive line uh, is, has been doing a really good job. The starting unit against the Browns starting offensive line uh, in camp. They've been, they did a good job against the Jets. This New York Giants line is a tough offensive line. We're going to see how they do. And conversely, we're going to get to see how our offensive line does against the Super Bowl champion Giants defensive line, you know, that same line that gave Tom Brady fits, that same line that shut down, you know, the Patriots uh, for all respects, you know, in that second half of that Super Bowl, we're going to get to see that. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, now, 
as we continue to go for the cycle, we're going to talk about Ohio State football. Waitingfornextyear.com.com. In regard to the Ohio State Buckeyes, training camp is underway, and while our two former quarterbacks in Antonio Hinton and Rob Schoenhoff are fighting for starting positions in their new teams, we have uh, Donald Washington and Jamari O'Neal, two defensive backs for the Buckeyes, that will be suspended for the first two games. Uh, O'Neal is a reserve uh, strong safety, so his absence isn't going to be too, too painful. Uh, Washington might be a little different story. Uh, Chimdi Chekwa is supposed to be uh, taking his starting spot for those two games. Thankfully, due to the Ohio State Buckeyes schedule, the first two games of the season aren't as heavily as weighted in the schedule as the third game, which will be against the University of Southern California. You know, one of the other things that people are talking about with the Buckeyes is, is, is Terrell Pryor going to see the field and how much is Terrell Pryor going to see the field? Um, you know, if you read and, and you, especially if you go to uh, uh, the Dispatch's you know, website, it seems like they are trying to put in packages so that Terrell Pryor sees the field from day one. I think the red shirt is going to be, you know, put away in the, uh, in the locker room and, and not used on Terrell Pryor for certain. I think that Terrell Pryor and Beanie Wells in the same back backfield is a match-up nightmare. I mean, what are you going to do? You've got to, you've, you've got to be concerned about Beanie Wells and Beanie pounding off tackle. And if, if Terrell Pryor gives you that option of, you know, that, that draw fake with, uh, with Beanie Wells and then, you know, running out to the, to the end with Terrell Pryor, I, I don't know. I don't know as a defensive coordinator, you know, how you can, how you can defense that. That, that is just so scary to me. And so I think that you're going to see a lot of packages with Terrell Pryor. Now, make no mistake, Todd Beckman's the quarterback of the Buckeyes. He's going to be the quarterback of the Buckeyes. Jim Tressel is not going to hand the offense to a freshman uh, this year. There's too many seniors on this team. There's too much riding on this season. So Terrell Pryor is not going to be the starter. You know, don't even think that. But they will have packages where Terrell Pryor's in, and I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Normally during this part of the cycle, we'd be talking about Cavalier basketball. With the big trade today, we're making the Cavaliers our main event. And now, and now the main, main event. event. So the Cavs pulled off the big trade today. The trade that we made was Joe Smith and Damon Jones are going out the door. Then coming in is point guard Mo Williams. Now Mo Williams is 17.2 points per game and 6.3 assists. We'll get to Mo in a second, but let's talk first about what we gave up in Joe Smith and Damon Jones productivity-wise, expiring contract-wise, and we're going to give our first word on that to Bob Schmidt at CavsBoard.com. Bob, what do we give up there? Well, in regards to as far as on court production, the only thing you're really losing is is probably Joe Smith because as far as Damon Jones's minutes, they've been erratic the entire time he's been here. And even last year when he seemed to be playing good, he only came in in mop up duty or in blowouts for the most part, except when we had injury concerns. So I, I don't know that we're going to see that much of a loss on the court. It's it's nice to have a four big man rotation with Joe Smith in the mix with you know Wallace and Ogoskis and and Vergeo, but. My biggest concern in terms of what we're losing is the mid-range game that you see from Joe Smith. Now it's all kind of on the shoulders of Zadrunas Ilgoskis, and if he gets into a, you know, a cold streak or if he goes out with an injury, there's not going to be much that's going to give anybody space down low. But in terms of Damon Jones, 
especially considering the fact that the Cavs re-signed Daniel Gibson and Delonte West may very well be back with Maurice Williams and hopefully a healthy Pavlovich. He wasn't going to see much floor time at all. So they move a couple of expiring deals, but in the end, they still have millions upon millions of dollars to use in expiring contracts. So between Wally Zerbiak and Eric Snow and all the other you know expiring deals, Verajo after December 5th will be movable to whoever they want. I don't think it's a, it's a big hit to take to bring in somebody of Maurice Williams' caliber. Well, now on that, let me ask you this question. We're losing Joe Smith, and you talked about the four-man rotation. I think one of the things that might scare me with this is that suddenly we're going to see a lot more of Andy Verajel on the court at the same time with Ben Wallace. And I think we'll all agree that that turned out to be a disaster last year. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. But, I mean, there's two sides as far as the way I look at it. One would be you got to hope that as – as Joe Smith moves out, one of two things will happen. Either they'll find a fourth big to slide into that role through, say, moving Delonte West in the sign and trade if they don't intend to keep him, or maybe through other moves that come, you know, at the trade deadline or prior to the trade deadline. Because really, what I'm concerned about would be the playoffs. Or Hickson slides in. Right, Hickson steps up. That's that's a possibility. And, and obviously, uh, uh, if if you're a big Cavs fan, you you read that on Brian Winhurst's article today, and and we, we got to stop and just mention it. It is so nice to have Brian Winhurst back writing uh, again. Uh, Brian is, uh, as most of our readers know, has been, has been quite ill and has been in the hospital. And, and literally, uh, as we found out from, uh, from True Hoop today, uh, Brian uh, dictated that article uh, in the car on the way home from the hospital. And so we're, we're, we're grateful to have uh, Brian back. Uh, but it, it sounds like the Cavs are, are expecting Hickson to be part of that mix. Uh, if he steps up his game and if he can give us some offense, then, then I agree. I don't think that what we gave up uh, is, is anything compared to what we're getting. Uh, and speaking of what we're getting, let's, let's talk about who we're getting. Mo Williams, 17.2 points a game, 6.3 assists a game. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's someone that's going to come in and, and run the point. What does he bring to the table? For that, we're going to ask uh, Dan Lobby. We're going to give him first word. Dan, what does he bring? Well, Mo Williams brings the ability to hit outside shots, which I think the Cavs need out of a point guard. You know, we heard a lot of talk about uh, LeBron wanting Jason Kidd, who who I think would have been a disaster in Cleveland. Because the bottom line, if you're going to play next to LeBron, you've got to be able to hit shots. He's the primary ball handler, and that's what Mo Williams can do. And the other thing he can do is he can create scoring opportunities on his own, and and that's huge as well because LeBron can play a little bit off the ball, even though, you know, he prefers to handle the basketball. The fact that maybe uh, Mo Williams can go to the rim and and maybe get LeBron some 15-footers, which, you know, he showed improvement in, in shooting from that range last year. Uh, you know, I think Mo Williams brings so much. He's kind of a mini Gilbert Arena sort of player. He likes to shoot a lot, but that's okay because uh, the Cavs need players that, that have confidence in themselves offensively and are willing to, to take over, uh, you know, even in lieu of LeBron. All right, so we, we see what he can bring. What, what are his limitations? What, what are you worried about with him? Well, the big question is, you know, can he play with the ball not in his hands? You know, like I said, LeBron is the primary ball handler. He's always going to be the primary ball handler. That's where he's at his best. So Ken Mo Williams, is he going to be comfortable if the basketball is not in his hands as often? I think he can be because he played next to Michael Redd, who we all know likes to shoot a lot, and a guy that obviously I wanted the Cavs to obtain, but Mo Williams is the next best thing. Uh, but, you know, Mo Williams needs his shots. Can, can he score consistently if he's not getting as many shots uh, in a Cavs uniform as he was in Milwaukee. And, of course, there's always the defensive question when you play for Mike Brown. Yeah. Well, and let's talk for a second here about this because um, 
You know, one of the things I was thinking of, and I've heard, I've read a lot of people already, you know, people talking about this trade. It's all over the Internet. Um, but people say, you know, that he, he needs to shoot the ball or he needs to handle the ball. And the question I have for you is if he takes the ball out of LeBron's hands, is that really a bad thing? You know, if you're watching the Olympics, you're watching LeBron, you know, moving around without the ball being very active and still getting his shots, still getting his opportunities to score. You know, from from what I see, I don't think it's a bad thing that maybe we might be seeing the end of the LeBron dribbles for 10 seconds at the top of the key and, you know, and then puts up a, a, an outside shot. Uh, you know, am I wrong on that? Well, I think we're going to finally find out, you know, is LeBron James comfortable playing off the basketball? Was it just a matter of flat out, even though he never said it, he didn't trust his teammates. So he held the basketball for, you know, it seemed like an eternity until the shot clock was about to expire. You know, maybe was it a case of he didn't trust his teammates, so he took it all upon himself. We're going to get an opportunity to see if that's the case. I mean, the impression we've gotten from LeBron in a Cavaliers uniform so far is he likes to dominate the basketball and he's most comfortable dominating the basketball. And, and at times he hasn't necessarily been inclined to move without the basketball. So we're going to get an opportunity to see if that's a little bit of a misconception. And like you said, with Team USA, he's certainly shown uh, shown the, the knack to play off the basketball, to play at the free throw line and, and set up people from there and not hold the basketball. But, you know, he's going to be coming back to the Cavaliers and not playing with the team of all-stars. So it'll be a little bit of a different situation. But, you know, we're going to finally get a chance to see that. Well, and let's continue with how does he fit in with the Cavs? What what role is he going to be playing? Is he going to be starting? Who's going to be you know starting next to him? Uh, for that, we're going to give the first word to Scott. Yeah, I would assume he's he was going to start. Um, you're not going to pay a guy eight plus million. You're not going to make a trade of this of this magnitude at this point in the year uh, to not have him start. Um, if anything, it's going to be a. Uh, a telltale sign to Delonte West telling him he's not going to start. Um, who you would put next to him, uh, the a combination of either Booby Gibson or Wally Zerbiak at the two. I'm not sure if Sasha Pavlovich has uh, earned his starting role back at this point. Uh, obviously LeBron at the three, uh, Ben Wallace at the four, Z at the five. Um, you get, that gives you uh, LeBron and Mo Williams, uh, two players that can drive and uh, hit the outside shot as well. Uh, you have uh, Mo Williams and Wally and or Booby that can hit the outside shot, and then you still have the inside presence of, of Z. So I think um, you you have a guy who's, who's very versatile, at least on the offensive side of the floor, and uh, one that can complement uh, LeBron James's game very well. Well, Scott mentioned Delonte West. Dan, what's next for Delonte? I mean, obviously he's he's not under contract right now. There's there's been the dispute. What does this tell Delonte West, and, and what are the Cavs going to do here? Well, if I'm Delonte West, I'm going to have my agent call up Danny Ferry, see what he's willing to offer, and and take that qualifying offer as, as soon as possible. Or if Danny Ferry's willing to give give me a decent multi-year offer, I'll take it. I think Delonte West kind of becomes uh, maybe not the odd man out, but you're certainly not going to pay him five or six million dollars a year. You're already paying Booby uh, Booby Gibson around that amount, probably about four or five million a year. So uh, I think Delonte West is in a tough spot. I think it's, he's probably going to have to take the qualifying offer because it's clear there's not another team out there that's going to offer him a multi-year deal and force the Cavs to decide whether they want to match or not. So uh, my my gut feeling is Delonte West ends up taking the qualifying offer, plays off the bench, and uh, maybe sees what he can get next season as an unrestricted free agent. I got to think, though, I, I got to wonder with Delonte if 
his agent came out and blasted Ferry saying how, you know, oh, well, basically their stance has been you got to go out and find an offer and, and we have the right to match it. That now that they know that they've got all this money tied up in Williams, and when I say they, I mean Delonte and his agent, maybe they can find someone who would be willing to give him a deal you know, on the low end of that mid-level because they know, well, the Cavs are a lot less likely to match it now and then work out a sign-and-trade. Or, you know, there is the qualifying offer, but Delonte's not going to get the chance to showcase his skills like he did this year with the Cavs with many other teams in the league. You're not going to find teams out there that get that much national TV run where you're going to get that kind of minutes because their backcourt is that weak or, or injury-riddled. And, and you're right. I mean, I think Delonte overplayed his hand a little bit. He tried to wait out Danny Ferry and company. He thought maybe he, he could get them into a, a situation where they needed to bring him back because they needed a point guard. And, and really what he should have done originally, maybe a month ago, was taken that qualifying offer, been pretty much guaranteed the starting point guard spot, and, and then shown what he can do. But now basically the situation he's in is he's going to be a backup, just like he was for two-thirds of the year in Seattle. So his value, uh, no matter what he does, probably isn't going to go up from here. All right, quick question. If Delonte signs that offer a month ago, is Mo Williams a Cavalier? I, I think, I mean, Mo Williams is a good player, and, and I think if he's available, Danny Ferry explores it. But that being said, if he knows Delonte West is coming back and, and he feels like Delonte West can be a starting point guard in the league, Danny Ferry's like Delonte West for a while, uh, you know, maybe he gives Delonte West a shot to be the starter. I mean, you know, once again, maybe Mo Williams' talent trumps all that. But if Delonte West signs that deal a month ago, takes that qualifying offer a month ago, it, it might change things. I wouldn't be shocked to see if that's something that Winhurst covers in, in one of his you know first stories back after this this big story that he broke. Is I, I think when he does a story on the Delante situation, we'll get an idea of just how much this trade was motivated by what Delante's agent said and, and the stalemate that was with Delante, or if this was just a deal that was too good to pass up. Any chance Delante goes to Europe? Not now, I wouldn't think. <laughs> well, why not now? Well, I mean, I'm not saying not now based on what has transpired, but... I say that more from the sake that he had that opportunity to use that as leverage, and even when they found out that that report was bogus about him supposedly having an offer from you know, Dynamo Moscow or whoever it was, he said right then, even with as pissed as he was with the Cavs, his agent said that it's something that Delonte wasn't really looking to do. I mean, if he wasn't looking to do it when he needed leverage, now when he has none, I, unless he, he, he absolutely feels like there's going to be no money for him, I don't know why he would make that jump now. What, what's going to change in his mindset? It wasn't a money decision. It was a, a lifestyle decision at the time. Okay. And the other thing that, that Delonte West faces now is, you know, we kind of saw in the playoffs that Mike Brown, I think, wants Sasha Pavlovich to succeed. I mean, the guy was on the floor at the end of Game 7 in the Boston series for, for as terrible as he played. Mike Brown had him on the floor. So, I mean, let's say Sasha Pavlovich has a bounce back here. Then all of a sudden, you know, Daniel Gibson is getting minutes off the bench at the point guard spot, maybe a little bit at the two. Sasha Pavlovich and Wally Zerbiak have to split up the two guard duties. Uh, the minutes are, are going to, uh, to disappear for Delonte West right now. So, so I don't know, maybe he reconsiders going to Russia if that was ever even a valid option to begin with. Well, let's, you mentioned a couple of different options there, uh, Dan. I want to want to get to this. Any more deals to be made? I mean, what's what's going to happen with the Cavaliers cuz I I just I still think that Wally Zerbiak's contract at some point is going to have to be traded. 
I don't think that the Cavs really are excited about uh, Wally Zerbiak's play. I don't think, uh, obviously, I don't think he's worth the contract he's got. But if if the Cavs are going to really be title contenders, I think who they get for that contract is going to be key. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they keep Wally. What do you think, uh, Bob? What's going to happen there? I think it's it's basically inevitable that he gets traded. Now, I don't know that that'll happen before the trade deadline. I think what the Cavs did last year shows you that, you know, they're more concerned about having their team gelling when the playoffs come. And if there's not a good deal to be had before the trade deadline, when people are starting to feel pressured and, and feeling like they're up against the wall, then Ferry has shown that he's probably patient enough to wait it out. But I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them move Wally and whatever parts they may need to to either try to bring in, you know, a bigger perimeter guard who can do some of the things that we we lack as a team, which would be, you know, perimeter defense, that type of thing, or maybe address the, you know, power forward center situation with a more well-rounded player. Who knows, maybe a Sean Marion or someone in, in, along those lines, if, depending on who's being shopped at the trade deadline. But I, I think it's all but inevitable that Wally gets moved. Yeah, I agree, and and I think uh, you guys talked about it earlier. I mean, do you really trust J.J. Hickson uh, scoring in the post for this team? They're going to need a big guy that can score at some point, and I think that's where Wally Zerbiak uh, comes in, especially because you brought in Mo Williams. Uh, you've got plenty of shooting in, in him and Gibson, and, and hopefully Pavlovich bounces back. Well, I do want to thank uh, our guest tonight, Bob Schmidt from CavsBoard.com and uh, Dan Lobby from uh, Cavaliers Corner, and that's at uh, Cleveland.com. You can catch, uh, catch his blog there. Um, certainly want to say a big thank you to those guys. Uh, also, uh, again, do want to mention uh, that we're, we're extremely uh, excited and happy to hear uh, Brian Windhurst. Uh, back with us. Uh, so uh, from all of us at WaitingForNextYear.com, uh, we are uh, glad that you joined in. Uh, don't forget to keep the discussion rolling at the website. Uh, you can catch uh, all of the links and the things that we've been talking about we'll, uh, on, on the post. We'll make sure that, uh, that you get a chance to uh, hear those. Uh, but thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week. Strike three called ball game. This has been the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. For complete coverage of the Browns, Indians, Cavaliers, and all your Cleveland teams, log on to WaitingForNextYear.com. Contact us on the internet. Thank you, and good day.